Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Once again, welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 144. Golf is back. If you watched the PGA Tour event at Colonial last week, wow, gut-wrenching lip-outs for Xander Shoffley and Colin Morikawa coming down the stretch. But nice to see that Daniel Berger picked up the win after a long road back from injury. Oh, and apparently Bryson is bigger. I'll be interested to see what he does at Harbortown this weekend and keep an eye out on the Corn Ferry Tour that's in St. Augustine, Florida. Lots of great players there, some big names. Actually, my guest on this episode is playing in that event as we speak. More on that later. Um, the mojo is real. I, I'm, I, I'll, I can't stop saying it. You know it is. Former guests on this podcast doing fantastic things in the game of golf. Both Will Zalatoris and Chris Ventura picked up top tens right out of the gate at the first Corn Ferry Tour event back last week. Rick Wolf made it to the finals of the Florida State Golf Association senior match play before falling to eventual champion Richard Kerper. Here's an interesting stat. Rick Wolf had a chance to win a senior match play event 13 years after winning it in 2007. That's a senior event, 13 years. So go ahead and wrap your head around that one. Um, Chase Johnson, All-American at Kent State, who I met through Blair Hamilton recently. He Mondayed into this week's Corn Ferry Tour event in St. Augustine. He is making his Corn Ferry Tour debut. You'll hear from him soon on the back of the range. The mojo in this case is real and has been provided in advance of the episode being recorded. And finally, Hunter O'Mahony, younger brother to former guest Greg O'Mahony, has just picked up another win on the minor league golf tour. Hunter has come a long way in the game. Uh, despite losing to me at the Die Preserve when he was 12 years old, um, you see, it all works out in the end. He's a professional golfer that can shoot 65s, and um, and I have a golf podcast. So, dead even there. Some housekeeping items before we get to this week's episode. The new shipment of Logo Golf Towels are in. They're available on the website, two for 25 bucks. I'll put a link in the show notes of this episode so you can go ahead and grab that. I'm going to order some more trucker hats. I'm completely out of those. Any other ideas you have for merch, please let me know. Uh, Visors, custom tumblers with the logo on it, just let me know. You all know how to get in touch with me. As I've said many times at the beginning of each and every episode, you can follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those links and every single episode is available on the website, thebackoftherange.com. If you've been following along on social media, you'll know that a few days ago, I announced that FootJoy has generously provided a free pair of their brand new Pro SL golf shoes for me to give away in conjunction with this week's guest, who has been a lifelong FootJoy Titleist brand ambassador. Now, I've read all the articles on how to grow my Instagram and Twitter following by doing giveaways. And I've done some giveaways in the past. You know, most of the time it's giving away a logo golf towel or maybe when I'm traveling around to different golf courses, I'll pick up a little swag, you know, ball markers, tees, hats. Whenever I travel around, I like to bring something back and, and give it away. But this is a little different. This is a brand new pair of foot joys. So I guess if my goal is to grow my follower count and get some retweets, 
I should be doing a giveaway contest where I ask you to tag three friends and jump through some hoops for a free pair of kicks. Well, I'm not going to do that. I didn't start the back of the range to get a massive Instagram following. I didn't start it to get free stuff from golf equipment companies either. I started the back of the range to tell stories about some of the best players in the game that you may have never heard of or haven't heard of yet. And if you love the game of golf and love to hear some good golf stories, I hope that is what you're getting out of the back of the range. And I've said it many times before, I greatly appreciate everyone that listens each and every week. So this is how the winner will be chosen. Listen to this episode, drop me a line, and tell me what you thought of it. Or tell me who you'd like to see on future episodes. Or maybe tell me which episode was your favorite. That's all you have to do. You don't need to tag three friends, although telling your friends about the podcast is always appreciated. You don't need to leave a review in Apple Podcasts, although I do like those very much. Just drop me a line. You could send me a DM on Instagram. You can email me, ben at thebackoftherange.com. You can contact me via the website. No shortage of places for you to get in touch with me. I'll select a winner at random, and I'll get you set up with FootJoy, and your new shoes will be delivered to your door. And yeah, I'll probably throw in a towel as well. So special thanks to FootJoy for stepping up and hooking up one of our listeners this week. As I said, my guest this week is a Titleist FootJoy ambassador. My guest on this episode is Davis Riley. Davis has been a success at every level of the game, from winning U.S. Kids tournaments to being an AJGA All-American and a runner-up twice in the U.S. Junior, all those accomplishments led him to Alabama, where his team was a runner-up to Oklahoma State when they won the national championship in 2018. Now, Davis is competing on the Corn Ferry Tour, and before the coronavirus put a halt to this season, he picked up his first win on the tour in Panama. He's currently ranked number two in the standings. Everything was pointing towards Davis vaulting onto the PGA Tour. We had a great conversation about life on the tour, the incredible way that he punched his ticket to the U.S. Open in 2015 as an 18-year-old, and yes, we even spoke about his current living situation. His roommate is the same guy that beat him in one of those U.S. juniors, Will Zalatoris. We spoke about Will. I tried to get Davis to make fun of him as much as possible. Sorry, Will, but you're just you're too easy of a target. So let's get to this episode now, Davis. Thank you for joining me here at the back of the range. How are you? Ben, thanks for having me, bud. I'm doing good, and I'm excited to be on. The way the world is right now, I have to let listeners know when we're recording because of coronavirus and then obviously a lot of other issues in the country right now. But today's June 2nd, and um, you've just kind of gotten out of a, I guess, quarantine. You're getting ready to get back on track on the Corn Ferry Tour. You have two events in North Florida that you're about to head out to, but... um, this is a two-part question. How hard is it to be quarantined? And then how hard is it to be quarantined with your roommate, Will Zalatoris? <laughs> well, the Will Zalatoris part is probably the roughest part, but no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been tough. You know, I actually, when stuff first started to get really bad, I actually went back home to Mississippi to kind of get out of Dallas. Dallas was a hot spot, so I wanted to kind of go home. And plus, I knew I was going to have some time off. So I was like, oh, I might as well go spend some time with family. You know, my sister, she lives in New York. She's coming back. So anyways, yeah, I went home for a couple of weeks, practiced. Uh, course was still open, thank goodness. So I got practice while I was home. Um, and then after I spent two weeks there, came back here. And it was crazy because I crossed the border to come into Texas. 
and there was all these police officers everywhere. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And so I had to do a mandatory two week quarantine at my apartment. So I actually spent two weeks uh, in my apartment, not doing anything really, except, you know, leaving when I probably shouldn't have to go get groceries or something stupid anyways. Sure. But, um, yeah, well, Will actually, uh, he had a net at his house and, uh, he brought it over. So it's actually hilarious. I'll have to send you a picture <laughs> sometime, but we've got a net and a net in our small apartment. So it's actually hilarious. I was just hitting balls and, you know, inside for a couple of weeks. So it was actually, uh, pretty hilarious, but, uh, no, it's been extremely tough. You know, uh, first couple of weeks were nice, get some time to relax, hang out with the family. And then, um, after a couple of weeks, you're just like, all right, let me get me back on the road. Let me just play some golf. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, it's been like that for just about everyone. I think everyone that I've spoken to just over the last two months is just, it's been the same thing. Like I have to get back to, to normalcy. Now you mentioned being back in Mississippi, is this uh, is this golf course Cane Break Country Club you're talking about? It is, yes. The course I was uh, grew up playing all my life. I actually am fortunate enough. I live on number nine, um, literally 150 yards from the clubhouse. So I just truck it back and forth every time I'm home. So I walk back and forth to the golf course. And uh, yes, Cane Break Country Club. It's it's a fun course. It's a Jerry Pay design. It's a it's a great course. So I've been fortunate enough to grow up and home my game in there. Um, all these years. When did you start getting into golf? I mean, you had a great junior career. You, you, you know, runner up back to back years at the U S junior and two time all American, uh, you know, two time AJGA first team all American. When, when did golf start becoming something that, uh, you know, you're focusing on primarily, I'm guessing you played a lot of sports as a kid. So when did golf really kind of kick in as like, okay, this is, this is a direction I want to go someday. Right. Right. You know, I guess, Kind of like every other kid, I kind of grew up playing them all. Yeah, you know, baseball, soccer, um, who knows, probably other things that I probably wasn't very good at. <laughs> um, yeah, so I started playing competitive. Um, started actually playing in tournaments when I was seven or eight, maybe nine. So somewhere in that time frame, and uh, started out playing local stuff in Mississippi. I remember my first tournament actually was a U.S. Kids woke like a regional tournament. Um, just up the road from my house and uh, I actually won it. I won my first tournament I ever played and I was like, oh, well, maybe I'm not too bad at this. There you <laughs> so, go. I would quit yeah, personally. So I, uh, that's when I would quit, but that's okay. You kept going because <laughs> there are bigger things on the other side, but so you win your first U.S. kids. Right. I won my first tournament ever I was entered into and it was as funny as nine holes and I think I shot like 41 or something or 42. I can't remember, but anyways, Jeez. it was, uh, yeah, it was so I was like, okay, well, you won the first one. You can't be too bad at it, so might as well play another, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's kind of when I just, uh, you know, I kept playing other sports like basketball and baseball probably up until I was, you know, 11 or 12. And then I kind of really started to focus on golf when I was able to play well enough to, you know, get into some AJGAs and build up some status there. And uh, so, yeah, up until about that age. Growing up in Hattiesburg, you go to Alabama to play your collegiate golf. And I'm always I always love asking about, um, you know, the recruitment process and how you decide one school over the other and about going on different visits. Um, I mean, were you always an Alabama guy or did it just kind of evolve in the uh, in the process of, of looking at Division one schools? Because there's a lot of a lot of parents, a lot of juniors, a lot of amateurs that are, you know, maybe. I mean, gosh, maybe just three, four years behind you in age that are going to be looking at something like that or thinking about where they want to go to school, how they want to, you know, further their game. What was that process like for you? 
Yeah, it was, uh, it's a fun process. It can be kind of nerve wracking sometimes just being a young kid getting recruited at an early age. But, um, yeah, I guess I had a little bit of Alabama blood in my family. My mom went there for two years, uh, spent her, you know, last two years at Ole Miss. My dad went to Ole Miss. So I actually grew up going to a lot of Ole Miss, like football games and sporting events. So that was kind of the home team growing up. But, um, yeah, and it kind of involved in a sense too. You know, I, started getting recruited. I think the first time I'd ever gotten, you know, remember seeing Coach Sewell out on the road watching me. I think I was maybe 14 or 15 playing in the uh, junior players at Sawgrass. And he, uh, I remember him showing up and, um, and it was, it was really cool to, you know, when that whole process starts, you see all these coaches, you start getting like, oh, okay. A rock star. (laughs) Right, right. You feel like a rock star, but at the same time, like it can get in your head if you don't, go about it the right way and, and it obviously it's hard to do that at an early age like that um but yeah it was so cool the process is fun and um kind of right around that age and then i ended up committing the fall of my sophomore year in high school so i committed pretty early and um yeah and i guess you know right around 14 or 15 i started seeing coaches come up and uh, eventually ended up going with picking out jc well yeah. <laughs> how do you when you see these coaches coming around you at that early of an age, how do you just put your head down and play golf and not worry about, okay, if I make double here, I am not going to blow my collegiate chances out of the water. I mean, it's, it, I'm guessing at that age, you think every missed putt, every, uh, you know, every ball that you dump in the lake is, is life, life or death. But who, who helped you kind of get your head screwed on to where, you know that that's not the case where they're looking to see who you are as a person, not so much as what you're doing on this particular hole on this particular day. Oh, for sure. And it's, you know, it's very nerve wracking. And I was at Lake too. You're kind of living by dying by every shot. Yeah. You got all these coaches out there watching you. So it's kind of one of those things you got to like, you know, embrace it more. And if I had to, you know, go back and tell my 14, 15 year old self, I'd just be like, you know, yeah, they're, you know, obviously you play good golf if they're out there watching you. So it's more about like how you conduct yourself when things aren't going good and stuff like that. And so if I could tell myself it'd be that and um, really just embrace it because it's a great opportunity. If they're out there watching you, obviously you've done some good things. So it's more of just like taking it with that kind of mindset and embracing it and just having fun with it and being appreciative. You know, I have to be thank my parents so much because they gave me the opportunity to play and all these tournaments and get that kind of exposure. And um, it can be hard when you're not playing in quite a few events. Um, But yeah, just more of just keeping in the right frame of mind of how it is and not stressing yourself out, beating yourself up over a bad shot in front of a coach or anything like that. It's more of just embracing it and having fun with it and just realizing you've got a great opportunity ahead. What, uh, what does Alabama do for a golf recruit to kind of seal the deal? I mean, are you, are you out on the football field? Um, do they send the jet? I'm just curious. I, I don't think I've, I mean, what, what, what happens there? Um, yeah, I was about to say, all, all it took was a football game for me. So it was easy for pretty me. much or anything. <laughs> no, it was, uh, man, it was, I, and I was right around that time I was getting kind of recruited um that age and they really started tearing it up i mean they went back-to-back national championships runner-up one year so i was just watching them on tv in high school and it was like and it just ended up being a perfect fit and it was cool watching them you know get together as a team and feed off each other and really play 
and all the energy, great energy they had. And, um, but yeah, I remember going on the visit, went to the football game. That was really cool. Enjoyed that. Walked around campus facilities and obviously meeting the coach, uh, and actually coach, uh, Rob Bradley and coach, uh, Mike McGraw were the assistants during the time I was getting recruited. So they were awesome. Um, but yeah, it was just a perfect fit for me. It was, I guess in a sense, just far enough away from home to get away and close right. enough to come back. And, um, it was just a perfect fit for me. I fell in love with, um, how they went about things and coach Sewell, uh, the coach, you know, the stuff he had talked about how they do it the Bama way. And, uh, it was a perfect fit and I really enjoyed every second I was there. Rightfully so you're, you belong at a top D one school. I mean, back to back, um, you know, back to back runner ups of the U S junior Amber. He lost the, he lost the first one to Scotty Scheffler, who has has gone on to do great things and and for sure you know playing great and actually right there in the right there in the Dallas area he just played in that Merido event that I'll ask you about a little bit later and then you for lose sure. the, and then you lose the second one to your current roommate Will Zalatoris which I mean and there are pictures of you guys on the internet in little U.S. kids events and junior golf events I mean. Oh yeah. I mean, what when you first meet Will? I'm guessing it's in a junior event, but I'm guessing sure. you're meeting lots of you're seeing a lot of the same guys from event to event because once you get to that level, it's almost just you're you're basically on tour. Whether it's AJGA or or uh, you know USGA events, you're seeing the same faces all over. I, I guess how, when did your paths first cross? I know it wasn't at that tournament. Yeah, it was. So I guess we. We actually played quite a bit of uh, golf together in AJG or not AJGA's um, U.S. Kids stuff when we yeah. were. God, we had to be 10, 11, and twelve when we first started um, seeing each other, and we actually it felt like we got paired up like the, the last day of every tournament. It was the weirdest thing. It was just either the second or third day, but we got paired up all the time. And I swear, every time I played him, he didn't shoot above like sixty-seven, and I was like so young, and he was shooting like sixty-five, sixty-sixes, and I was shooting like. 70s 69s or 68 and getting waxed and i was like man this kid's good i mean he was he was a stud as from a really early age and it was we always joke about it that how good he played when we were all or how he, he always played a little better better than me i felt like but it was kind of cool to see like we talk about it and how good he always played with me so maybe there's something to it <laughs> well i mean you're turning it around now because you have a win on the corn Ferry tour and you're number two right now in the corn Ferry tour rankings and he's he's down at 18 by the way i am setting you up at any point in this conversation if you want to talk some shit or tell some embarrassing stories about zalatoris it's totally fine he <laughs> called me he said it's fine he didn't really call but i mean you can do what you want to so it's your episode so you you can you can do that it's totally fine perfect well i'm, I'm sure i'll think of something because there's a lot of them but i'm trying to think of which ones are pg and which ones aren't most of them are not (laughs) well a lot of my listeners are pg 13 kind of people so you know you can bump it up a little bit and then you know keep it below the r but it's it's totally (laughs) fine um i want to i want to ask you about i mean there's a lot of amateur tournaments you played in but i want to ask you about the 2015 u.s open because yeah you get through uh sectionals and uh you know you finish t8 and, um, you know, the one thing that's interesting, you know, so this is, a, you know, this is in, uh, you know, Ridgeway and Germantown and one of those For big, sure. one of those big sectionals that has a lot of spots, com- you know, comparatively to, to other ones. And right. you you get in with six under, you're tied eighth, there's eight spots available and 
this is one of the odd circumstances where there's actually no playoff. It worked out where eight guys fit on those eight spots and there was two um two alternates. But if right. if JJ Henry doesn't, you know, finish at minus five and he finishes at minus six, you're looking at a playoff that would include him. Andres Romero, who's won on tour, and Retief Goosen, who's won two U.S. Opens. Now, yeah. I've been through some qualifiers and playoffs on the amateur level. Um, nowhere near yours, but they still are qualifiers. But as an 18-year-old amateur, what's that day like when you get done and you got to sit and wait? Oh, I actually got a funny story. So we do th- we do we do those here, so that works out perfectly. Oh, perfect. Anyways, <laughs> um. It was actually, well, I'll start with the finish just because, like, yeah. actually, one of the things is the year before, a lot of people don't know. I think I missed him by one the year before, actually. So, and it was crazy. It was cool coming back, and I was familiar with the courses, and I kind of had an idea of what it was going to take because I played the year before, and I barely missed out. It was either by one or two. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, coming down the stretch uh, the next year, I knew, like, you see the site scores from previous years, you know, it's going to be six or seven under or eight sometimes but anyways i get up on the last hole uh whatever i was at six or seven under but um i get up on the last hole it's a long par five kind of three wood off the tee um then if you hit one really good way down there you kind of get to it too so i actually hit three with three wood and i was about 30 yards short of the green and um i knew if i got par i was probably safe you know you're always trying to get one more but anyways sure. it's just I'm 17. I'm like, I'm just get me to, into the clubhouse at six and just let me do that. Let me just like see what, see what, how far that takes me. But anyways, so I'm like 30 yards out hitting this little pitch to the back pin. And I'm literally just got this thing so far back in my stance. I just want to hit ball first on this. <laughs> I like, I got this thing trapped. I'm like, I'm going to land this on the front of the green and scoot it, you know, roll it 50 feet to the hole. And when I hit it, I actually ended up shanking the chip, shanking the pitch shot. Whoops. It was, I was just all out of sorts after that. I was like, oh, my gosh, did I really just do that? I remember my mom and dad. I had my dad's friends out there. They were watching. And they just all looked at me, and I was like, yeah, that just happened. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I shanked a 30-yard pitch. I don't even know if I've ever done that in my life. And I picked the worst well, moment. You picked a hell of a spot there, bud. <laughs> yeah, so I was like all out of sorts. I was like, I literally had to take, like, 15 to 20 seconds like just to like get my shit together i was like what just happened i've never done that yeah and all my time playing golf so anyways i'm like it shanked like got to like front right you know five yards off the right side of the green um just short and i had kind of had this hard chip to get up and down to get in with uh the number i was at and actually i chipped it to two feet and made it so it was like i still think one it was you know, in hindsight, not a hard up and down, but circumstances it was in. It was probably the best up and down I've ever made coming off a of shank. Oh, I that that you don't see those on scorecards. So yeah. that, that's a crazy story. So you get in at six. Yeah, I get in at six after getting up and down off a of shank, and I was actually pretty happy because normal golf, if I were playing with somebody else, I'd be pissed off I didn't get up and down from birdie, but right. I was like I'm, I was 30 yards short of the green and three, and I'm happy with par. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Yeah, so that was kind of my crazy finishing, you know, dramatic story for that week. So that was that was something else. And then, of course, when you're getting up there waiting, you're all, you're, you know, I was still shaking from the putt I had 20 minutes, 20 minutes prior to being in the clubhouse. But, um, 
Yeah, so it's the, it's definitely nerve wracking sitting around, you know, watching the scoreboard and it sucks because you like there's nothing I can do. All I can do is just wear out this refresh button on my phone. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was cool, you know, at the end and finally seeing it, uh, the results come in. I kept refreshing. I was like, is this real? I'm actually in the U.S. Open. <laughs> and um, no, it was cool. You know, my parents were there. We were all fired up. And it was, uh, and then of course, playing a couple weeks later. I mean, the whole just whole event and stuff was all pretty surreal. Were you in any sort of shape to go to a to go to a playoff after? Now that I know, now I have to ask you the question now. Now that I know that you had that that solid uh, five after the the shank and the up and down, were you yeah. even were you even remotely prepared to play it to go into a playoff at that point? <laughs> probably not. I'd be probably worried about shanking another one. Probably... <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a good thing it ended up perfectly on the number because I probably my chances probably weren't that great. <laughs> I've d- I've been through that too, where you you grind and grind, you put a number and you think you're done, and you then when you find out you're going to a playoff, it's just like. I guess some people can get up for it, and then some people just it's like it just kind of takes the wind out of your sails. But you get in on. I mean, you're you're there and. And this is obviously, I mean, this is one of the, I, I, I don't want to put an asterisk next to it, but when people think of U.S. Opens over the last five to seven or even ten years and you say Chambers Bay, everyone just kind of perks up because that was just such a unique U.S. Open. Um, yeah. I've talked to players about it. I've talked to Joe Buck about it, actually. And you're this 18-year-old amateur from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and you go from back-to-back, you know, junior am runner-up, you're in the U.S. Open, and it's always discussed. It's a, it's, it was just such a crazy court. There's nothing like, you know, the traditional Oakmont Pinehurst Shinnecock. I'm guessing you're not, I'm guessing you kind of, I mean, tell me how you took the course. Did you, uh, you know, there were people that complained and didn't like it and it wasn't fair, but I'm guessing you're just thinking I'm 18 years old at the U S open. Yeah. Yeah. I was just excited to be there. I know I'm not going to, say any names but being in the locker room there were quite a few guys um griping about it but yeah i mean me i was i guess so yeah 18 at the time and i was just excited to be there you know i was fired up i might even been 17 but anyways but no i was just fired up to be there um excited the whole experience was surreal walking on the range seeing you know phil mickelson tiger woods ricky fowler all these guys Roy mcelroy adam scott um i mean it was just I mean, it was just all surreal, and I just literally tried to learn as much as I could that week. And um, I was fortunate enough to play with quite a few cool guys in practice rounds, like Brian Harmon, Brant Snedeker, a um, couple other guys. And it was uh, cool to pick their brains and um, just kind of take the whole weekend and um, just learn, you know. And I was going to school later that fall, and I was just like, if I can pick some, you know, pick these guys' brain and learn a few things here or there, set me up for college and, you know, Amateur days and stuff like that. Um, that's was kind of the goal of the week, and it, it was just a blast. The whole week was. Were there? Um, what were maybe some of the things that surprised you? Because I mean, I, I think the average golf fan thinks that professional golfers never hit a bad shot, and everything's you know, they, you know, every eight footer goes in, and every drive hits the fairway, and and were there things that maybe surprised you about maybe how they prepared for that course or how they prepared for the week? That maybe yeah. as, as a kid, you're like, oh, I, I didn't know that that's what it's like up here. Right. Well, I guess the one thing that surprised me at the end of the week, I beat Tiger Woods and I'm one for one against him when I was 18. So I was like, this was pretty good. I mean, there, there you go. I mean, uh, yeah. 
no, but um, yeah, and it the whole preparation, like those guys, um, it was interesting to see how many like guys these ha- um, players have, like coaches and all these things. Like you'd see some guys, they'd have four and five guys on the range with them. You're like, what could they possibly do? And are they trying to like figure out how to, you know, make a rocket take off or right. what are they doing? <laughs> so that was crazy to me, like seeing how many guys, like um, how big of a team, like actually being and doing it now, you really come to realize like there really is a team aspect to professional golf. You know, you're by yourself, obviously, but it is a team deal. You know, college is team. And this was a team and uh, professional golf. You have to have a team. And it's cool, you know, seeing then. And like, I was just so kind of weirded out by that when I was younger. But now I kind of realize it. But that was kind of the biggest thing that really kind of confused me or was just made me think, huh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can imagine. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Uh, what? It, okay, so yeah. let's. Let's uh, let's talk about what your team looks like now. We'll we'll hit on a couple more things in your amateur crew before we talk about your success on, uh, you know, playing professionally. I mean, really, your 2019 on the Corn Ferry Tour we're definitely going to discuss because you really went from no status to pretty much locking up a, a really solid Corn Ferry Tour card for uh, for 2020. Um, what does your team look like now? Yeah, I've got quite a few guys I work with now. Besides, um, besides Zalatoris as your uh, personal masseuse. <laughs> I, yeah, no chance. No, no I, I try to. I try to keep this whole social distance thing has come six feet, and I, I've, I've tried to keep it that way since day one. So oh, okay, that's, I this, see. This whole so, social distance thing for us is not different. <laughs> I understand, <laughs> no, but no, he, uh, no, he's he's been fun to be around. But no, I. Um, so I work with. Um, on my game, you know, swing and short game stuff with Josh Gregory and Troy Denton. Um, they're both the guys that are actually both out of Merido, um, the golf course I play at. So that's nice to have them at kind of, you know, my disposal and use them and uh, get a lot of good work at home. Um, kind of a doctor that I've been working with recently on kind of wellness and uh, performance stuff, Dr. Anthony Lissy. Um, and then, of course, my agent, um, Mike Chisholm, and Players Group Management. Those are kind of the guys that I've uh, kind of worked with and, you know, helped me out a lot to get to this point, you know, since I turned pro and uh, all that kind of stuff. Well, I want to ask you before you turned pro, you had that great run in the, uh, in the national championship. I mean, 2018, you, you basically made the putt that sent your team to the final match against Oklahoma state. And um, you know, that year, I don't know what stops Oklahoma state on their own home course. Um, because that was just a, you guys just kind of ran into a buzzsaw, but ha, you know, you've been to, like I said, you've been to the U S open, you've been to us juniors, but for a collegiate event and a national championship at their home course with their fans, I, I know you're on the wrong side of the outcome, but what you saw there is for college golf. Is that something that kind of blew you away or, or you know, what was your kind of reaction to seeing the support that one team could get in a golf tournament at a collegiate golf tournament? Yeah, you know, it was crazy um, being in that final match and there's 5,000 or how it might have been more. I don't even know. 5,000 um, OSU fans screaming in your ear and walking down the fairway with you, which was crazy. <laughs> I mean, it, it, some of the stuff we heard, it was just, you know, bam, I saw it. Like, I'm not trying to dog any fans. I'm no, no, no. Out. It's well, hey, they're they're home fans. And then, you yeah, know, I'm sure, I mean, that's, yeah. How, that's how, you know, I guess. Alabama fans would be, you know, when Al- <laughs> you know how Alabama fans are at football games. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of the same deal, but you know, Bama's like, 
you're going to get your ass kicked, all this kind of stuff. Oh, like, my God. Pounding, you're, you're, you're hearing that stuff on a golf course, like, you know, as you're walking down the fairway to your shots. So, like, that kind of stuff was like, you know, it's it's a you know it's a sporting event. Obviously, there's fans. We understand that, you know, whatever. But it's kind of weird. It was kind of like my first, um, you know, obviously fans being out at, you know, U.S. Juniors and stuff like that. But that was kind of crazy to me. Just like they're walking down the fairway with you and all this stuff, and it's uh, it was like something you would see like back in the old days, like a, you know, a, I don't know, like in earlier golf years where you see like everybody like running down the fairways and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of like that feeling. It was, it was intense, but it was, I mean, it was a blast. And still to this day, it's, you know, right there up there. Uh, my favorite golf memories for sure. So, so what you're saying is that at us juniors, you didn't have like, you know, Marty Doe or John Augustine's parents yelling at you and, and, and saying you're going to get your ass kicked when you're playing against them. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, not at all. No. <laughs> yeah. Probably the only parents out there were mine yelling at me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm kidding no my parents are great but no uh yeah it was it was very interesting just dealing with that and uh you know playing i mean it's it's literally a home turf advantage i mean it's like home field yeah it's like, it literally what it was so it was kind of cool playing in that kind of atmosphere and uh and what helped out a bunch was coach sewell you know he's been in that position multiple times and he's succeeded and he really he did a great job of preparing us for what to expect and uh, how to go about things. And so that was a huge help. That really was having Coach um, Sewell there because he had been in that position and knew how to deal with it. And uh, that was huge. So um, we were very prepared for it. We knew what to expect. We knew that stuff was probably coming. Um, but, I mean, the whole overall experience was just awesome. I mean, it was to spend it with the guys you put in those hard, you know, long hours of work workouts in where you're just you know in each other's face you know getting ready for the season firing each other up and to have it all pay off and actually get in the moment is just like one of the most satisfying feelings and probably the most uh fun i've ever had on a golf course yeah um i i want to ask you about your decision to turn pro early i mean you you basically play your senior uh, you know, the way college golf works, it kind of splits right around the holidays. So you played your fall season, then you left before the spring started. Um, right. So I want to, I want to get into just kind of the, you know, we've spoken a lot about junior golf and college golf and, and playing amateurs, but then it becomes a business. Now it's a job. Um, you know, the, the name on your hat and shirt and bag, uh, is Titleist. I know you've been playing Titleist for quite some time. I've been told, um, by your your friend Bubba, uh, he called me and said, "I got to give you some shit." I don't know what to give you shit about. You seem to have done everything the right way. I don't know what he knows that I don't, so I kind of have to wing this. Um, I know you're working with him with Titleist, and yep. you're one of the first uh, amateurs that uh, he was able to uh, coerce into playing Titleist equipment. I don't know how hard that is. I mean, it's Titleist, but how do you balance being that young and someone saying? What do you need from the Titleist, uh, you know, uh, van? How how do you how do you handle that uh, uh, properly without being, you know, I'll give you two of those and six of those and four of those. <laughs> right, right. It was. Uh, I guess I'll give kind of the background of how we first met and how it kind of all started. I think we were. My relationship with uh, Titleist started. I think when I was thirteen, actually. Um, I was playing AJGA and. Uh, Nick Gilliam, who used to work for Titleist, he... Uh, I know Nick Gilliam. Yeah, yeah, Nick uh, Gilliam, and he was 
out watching. You know, he kind of worked the whole junior circuit. And we had met and we ended up meeting and um, ended up working out. He, you know, sent me some stuff, you know, tried it out. I really liked it. You know, me being 13, I was like, Heck, hell, it's Christmas right now. Exactly. I'm getting title of stuff. What is this all about? And I was very fortunate to be a part of that program. Um, you know, Nick, uh, Baba, you know, Mr. Jim Ahern, who was uh, working a lot of the junior circuit. And I mean, the names are endless um, who helped me out. But it was really cool um, at that age because, I mean, their program is very select and they're very, you know, they want the right guys on the team and people who are going to represent the company in a good way. And um, I was very fortunate. I was super excited. And I was like, because <laughs> at first you're like getting this stuff. You're like, this is Christmas. I just want to keep getting stuff. But um, but no, it was fun to develop that relationship really early. And um, and it's been great that I'm we've kept that great relationship. And of course, I'm working with him now. And uh, yeah, Bubba, it, it, Bubba's the man. I mean, he I was actually talking to him two or three hours ago because he had just <laughs> sent me and Will some shoes and we were getting excited. We we're throwing boxes there. We're like, hell yeah, new shoes. Let's Here go. we go. See, that's what's yeah. really, that's what I love about golf. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, if you yeah. show up to a range with like perfect white range balls or yeah. you get new shoes or new anything, it's, you're always like a kid like that. And I don't know how that, I don't know if that relates to every other sport. Like, I don't know what you do when you get a new basketball. Right, right, I don't, right. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's a spalt. Yeah, the last one was a spalding too. I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's, and it's always, and it's cool too. I mean, I guess a lot of sports like this, but golf is always one like, you know, they're always like coming out with new and good stuff. And it's like really cool to see how like products I've gotten from when I first started working to now, just like all the different stuff I've gotten and I've been blessed. And it's really cool. And it's, I don't know about all the other guys, but I, I always get I always get butterflies in my stomach when I see that Switchboard box. <laughs> oh boy, that's uh, yeah. that's that's the clip that I'll have to edit out, put into a separate audio clip, and send that to Bubba, and that'll just warm his heart. And then you'll get more yeah. shoes. So you know, really, that works out perfect. Then <laughs> I mean, really does. Um, yeah. So so all right, now we're talking about equipment. I, I want to ask you something. So you're getting ready to go play. Um, you're getting ready to start again on Corn Ferry, have two events. And obviously there's a lot of social distancing issues that professionals are going to deal with, whether it's um, hotels, travel, caddies, play, distancing, you know, restaurants. There's a lot going on. But one that I actually thought about that um, I'm not sure if you know many details of, of this, but is the uh, is the equipment trailer. So usually I'm guessing you just go into the trailer and say what you need and and they work on your clubs and you're there. But I don't think you're going to be able to do that when you go back, will you? No, no. We're, it's actually a crazy deal. But anyways, um, I was actually on the phone with uh, Nathan Fritz. He's a guy I worked with at Titleist. He's kind of a week-to-week guy. He's out there helping us. But the, he's one of the few guys that make all that happen on the road. But anyways, yeah, he was um, – was telling me he's like yeah this whole process like for instance if you want to get like a grip change you know you have to you can't give it to me directly we have to sanitize before you give it to us uh do the work and then sanitize it after and then we give it back to you 
And I was like, wow, that's crazy. So in a nutshell, I just need to get my shit together before we leave, right? <laughs> what? And he was like, he was like uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what? Okay, so um, what's a, for pretending we're, we're, we're pre-COVID uh, world, it's last year, you're, on, you're traveling, you're playing a regular Corn Ferry Tour schedule. Like, can you, is there a way for you to explain maybe what your, do you have a weekly routine with your equipment? Because, you know, I, I'm guessing as most other amateurs, it's like, okay, you guys go through grips the way you go through grips. It's pretty standard. And, you know, maybe you set a new wedges, but is there kind of a routine? Like, is it three tournaments, then new grips? Is it four, then new wedges? What What's maybe something that's worked for you? Right. Well, I guess like you see a quite a variety of guys, how like picky they are about, you know, having like, you know, perfect grips, you know, brand new clubs, like, fresh grooves and all that stuff's really important, but you, you see quite a wide variety of how guys operate in that sense. But as far as grips, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I'm not going to switch until the club just flies out of my hand. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I, and yeah, I, I just like, once I start like wearing in a grip and like having it, you know, I get comfortable with it. And then like, you know, when it comes to the point where you're like, all right, this needs to be changed and I'll finally change it. But with grips, I'm that way, like clubs, um, I'm pretty, I would like to say I'm pretty picky about wedges. I always want to have fresh grooves. There's nothing worse than, you know, having some dull grooves and you hit that, trying to hit that high spinner and you hit just a high knuckleball. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, wedges, I keep pretty fresh. Um, I guess 60, I'll, you know, go in and out every three to four months. And then, uh, you know, as you work up the wedges, obviously you're not using the 50 and pitching wedge as much as the 60 and sandwich. So you can kind of filter those in, you know, two, three times a year, a little less than, you know, the 16 sand wedge. And then irons probably every six months. Um, and then driver, you know, until it usually cracks, you're good to go. But, sure. um, yeah, so that's kind of been my routine, you know, as far as having clubs ready and uh, the condition of them. Now, are you, are, are you, as far as wedges goes, and I'm really not, I mean, I'm kind of out over my skis here talking about gear because I'm really not a gearhead, but are you, are you having different wedge sets for different conditions on different courses? Like, are you taking something down to the Bahamas where, that maybe is different than Panama where you, where you had your win? Yeah. So it's, uh, and like I said earlier, like you see guys that yeah. do quite a variety of things, but, um, me no, I was actually the kind of guy who, um, you know, I like to set a hat, and I just kind of kept that everywhere. But I've come to learn as of like playing professional golf, like you come into like some different turf conditions, like firm, soft, and so you kind of need that versatility with some wedges. And uh, yeah, I always bring a different grind, sixty degree uh, that has kind of a lower bounce. This meant for like firm conditions where you can really get into the ground, you know, a lot better than something that's kind of my stock is which kind of it's a neutral bounce but it's not ideal in like super firm situations so um yeah always carry an extra 60 with me uh just in case um the ground's really firm just something that i can get under the ball easier and stuff like that um but then yeah that's really as far um as far as you know switching up clubs for different weeks um that's kind of the only thing that i really do and well and i actually take a three iron hybrid stuff i need more iron one week um, I'll use that. If not, if it's more of a hybrid kind of need it for par fives, kind of go into till some little higher and softer, I'll uh, play the hybrid. But yeah, as far as switching out in uh, clubs kind of week to week, that's kind of really all I do. Okay. So you're, you're probably low maintenance in the world of professional golf. It sounds like. 
Yeah, yeah. I'd like to think I'm low maintenance as opposed <laughs> to my roommate over here who's got 43, 60 degrees sitting in his room. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. that's perfect. Oh, so so yeah. he's a, so he's really a hoarder. It doesn't sound like I'm guessing you're giving. Uh, you just sound like too nice of a guy. You're getting like once you're done with the set, you're probably giving him to like you know some kids at 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 your uh, at uh, crane at, yeah. at cane break. Like you're giving all your yeah. stuff away. Yeah, yeah, and he's sitting here with thirty three different kinds of sixty degrees. I'm like, dude, just hit the thing. It'll go. It'll go where you want to if you hit it right. Yeah, because you can, <laughs> no. you care about junior golf and the kids, and Will Zalatoris doesn't. That's what you're saying, right, Davis? Oh, 100 percent. There you, we go. You hit, the, you hit the nail on the head right there. Got but it. I'm actually actually looking at a couple of wedges he has sitting in a staff bag in his living room. He, I think, it's gotten so bad at this point with so many 60 degrees he's ordered. They've started to put stamps like Fun Sponge on there and all this different kind of stuff. So I think they're fun. <laughs> they're starting to get Fun bad. Sponge. Yeah, well, yeah, it's hilarious. One of his stamps on his wedges is Fun Sponge. It's fun hilarious. Sponge. <laughs> so I think they're kind of getting back at him for just taking all these damn wedges. Okay, Davis, what do I what do I have to do to get the story behind Fun Sponge? Or is that how do we do that? It, it's more of a will and titleist thing. I don't know the whole story of it, but I think. That's kind of what they've gone with. And another one, actually, um, I don't even know the show. I've seen pictures of it, but they've stamped on his wedge, Beavis. Beavis, um, yes. You know, Beavis is some character, some goofy-ass-looking character that they always compare Will to on the road, and it's it's hilarious. <laughs> I, I love the fact that they are they are giving him uh, giving him crap. I actually just... Uh, yeah, right, rightfully so, rightfully so. Yeah, well, I just, I just texted him just all in caps fun sponge and we'll have to wait and see what kind of reply i get um because <laughs> i wanted to pick on the or, or just hit on the issue of turning pro early so you have this great career at alabama um you win the illini tournament which is you know that course olympia fields i mean that, that's just i've talked to a lot of guys that have played that tournament it's just it beats the hell out of you and yeah and you know you have this great season and you know national uh, runner-up and it comes time you play your fall, and I guess you have a lot of people around you. Obviously, Coach Sewell, and and you have your your parents, and you have your friends, and your teammates, and and I know you're probably at that time getting close to, or at least having conversations with with your agent. Right. I mean, how do you work through that process, knowing that, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to school an extra, you know, it's your senior year. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it does put you behind the eight ball if you want to wrap up a card. Like, how do you work through that process where it's it's straight business? I mean, it's all it comes yeah. down to. Yeah, you know, it was, I mean, it is the toughest decision I've ever made, hands down. You know, I was, it's extremely tough, like leaving your teammates and having that phone call um, and sit down with your coach, um, telling them what you're thinking and what's going on and what you're wanting to do. Um, but yeah, it's extremely tough. And, um, you know, I was lucky to have a couple, you know, guys to talk to, um, for advice and, um, who had been in my situation and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a tough process. It's really hard. Um, but yeah, I decided to turn pro that January. And, uh, I guess kind of one of the, one of the reasons that it had happened is just like, I'd play really well, you know, had great college, you know, career um you know built myself high up in the rankings um to you know i think i thought i'd play well enough to get some tour starts coming out 
Yeah. And and the tough thing too is like when you give up that January to June um, in college, um, I mean, it delays getting your card a whole nother year unless you're like somebody that like, you know, Matt Wolf or somebody like that, you know, that's, it's extremely hard to do. Looking back at it now is to get a card, you know, off a of tour starts, you pretty much have to win almost, you know, it's, I mean, that's like the only way to get directly there. And um, so I feel like I'd play well enough to, you know, get a few starts, uh, maybe get enough points to get into web finals that year um, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was, it was extremely tough. And um, yeah, it was definitely a hard road on the Monday qualifiers. And I was, um, I was almost, you know, kind of ignorant in the sense I didn't really know how hard it was. <laughs> well, and then, and then, yeah. And then I started playing really well, got opportunities and uh, kind of made my way on and, um, made it look a, a lot easier than it, it is. Um, but yeah. I was, you know, excited to, you know, play some good golf and get those opportunities. And, you know, you, you obviously follow golf and what's happening right now with PG tour U, where they're going to institute a new, um, a new policy where the top five, um, collegiate players, either in their fourth or fifth year, obviously with these, the new extended uh, year of eligibility for some of these seniors, but the top five are going to get, uh, you know, corn fairy status. And I believe it's the next uh, 10 or so are going to get uh, limited status. And it, it breaks out differently where they can either go to McKenzie, China, or Latin America. Um, right. But there's going to be five guys that are going to come out after this, this insane college season for next year with all these, you know, fifth year seniors coming back, you know, like, you know, like John Augenstein and, and, and Cooper right, Dossie. Right. And what are those five guys not going to have that, you ended up learning in that one year of, of Monday qualifiers and, and, you know, scraping and, and trying to, to secure a card really starting from, from the bottom, from nothing. Like what are they not going to have under their belt that you accumulated in that one year? For sure. And I, I, I grew a lot as a player in that time. And um, I was just lucky to be surrounded with, you know, a good team that I have now to help guide me through it. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I, it, it helped me out so much. I mean, just the little things going and playing, you know, kind of rinky dink courses and embracing it and, you know, staying in the hotel by yourself in the middle of nowhere, doing all these things that like a lot of people don't see. And it's honestly like, um, if you don't love the game, it's extremely difficult. Like you have to, <laughs> you have to have a newfound love for, to do the Monday qualifier show. It's, uh, it's extremely hard. And, um, I hope I'll never have to go back there, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's it's a grind. There's no way other to put it. And you have to dig deep and get excited to go play around and stuff like that. Um, but I was, you know, just fresh out of school. I turned pro, got my cool staff bag. I was fired up. I was like, I'm just excited to play. So I think that helped me out a lot and just the excitement to play. You know, there's guys that have been doing that Monday qualifier circuit for who knows, five, ten years. and um there you know I, i'm sure the motivation was definitely a lot different than what i was feeling um but i grinded it out you know i not to brag on myself i was i was just proud of myself the way yeah i handled the week to week um you know flying from i remember one week it was absolutely crazy i actually played in chicago got a sponsor invite because the year before um they actually started doing it where i made it to the finals of the Western and, and the Western golf association puts on the Evan scholars corn fairy event. So I got in there based on what I'd done as an amateur the year before. 
and that was nice. That was awesome. So I literally played that week, played pretty good, um, finished like T32 or something, or somewhere in the 30s, low 30s. But anyways, I hopped on a plane that night from Chicago to Raleigh, North Carolina, and got in my room at like 3 a.m. And I teed off at 8 a.m. the next morning or that morning. <laughs> awesome. And the craziest thing, no practice round or anything. I wake up that morning off of four and a half hours of sleep and go set the course record without seeing the course. <laughs> yeah. That's and then got into Rex and then had my best finish of the year at T7. And that just set everything forward. It's like stories like that are, I think, what differentiates who's going to make it and who's not. Because, you know, there's probably a ton of guys that are playing the developmental tours, mini tours, whatever, whatever tour you want to call it. And on eight hours of sleep in their own bed or or after a great dinner and a nice breakfast and whatever, they can put a score together. But that's kind of similar to that's actually similar to like the Doc Redmond situation where right, he right. came over from Canada to, to Detroit and 62 in the Monday off of basically off of no sleep. Right. Yeah, it was nuts. I remember waking up that morning, you know, saying it's some like terrible hotel i was just like got there landed try to get us to sleep as soon as possible and um i remember waking up that morning i was still excited to play and that helped me so i was like all right well i just played well for a week let's get through this monday let's grind it out and just give me another week i just need an opportunity and uh sure enough i you know set the course record i think i shot like 63 or 62 at that course um and then went on that week um to finish top 10 I think I finished sixth or seventh, but, uh, and then that kind of set, you know, springboarded me to play how I did the rest of the year. And, uh, it, it was very, uh, very satisfying to do that. That's, that's crazy. Um, that you can pull that off on no sleep. And I guess you just put it out of your mind, just going, you just go on adrenaline and that's it. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I was running off adrenaline. I was, I was just ready to go. And, and I was thankfully I played well and, made a good week out of it and this is what a lot of people don't know too is like the whole monday grind is really tough just getting fired up to play but when you get through the monday you play that monday other guys have that monday to practice play do whatever and then your only day to play the course for the tournament is tuesday because you're not in the programs wednesday so you're literally playing the monday grinding out then you're probably driving an hour and an hour and a half away from where the monday is and then you got to wake up the next morning and go play another course. And you, you're just juggling so many different things. And then you're just like exhausted from the emotions of the Monday. Cause it's, I mean, it is a tournament round. It's not like you can kind of pace yourself like you would if you were in a regular tournament, like, oh, okay, Monday, I'm take it easy. Tuesday, get out there Wednesday, you know, get some good practice, play nine holes or whatever. So, I mean, it's just like, even when you get through, it's still exhausting and like finding a way to like, you gotta restart together yeah kind of reset and be like okay you're just so excited to get into the money you're like okay well I'll start from zero now so it's just like i mean it, it's a tough process and i i mean it, it's one of the hardest things you can do i i, I'll, I will say that you have this you know the, you have this 2019 season you played in 18 events you make the cut in 13 of them I think right. you had about like four out of seven Mondays you got into. I think that's I think that's about right, something like that. Right. And then, mm -hmm. but you have this great season, and um, 
just to dispel any, you know, myths and rumors about every professional golfer that you may see on TV is just, you know, drowning in cash and getting free shit all the time. Um, your official money for the 2019, I mean, it's on a website, so I feel I'm okay reading it off, but it's $83,000. Um, tell, yeah. tell me about your, what's your, what's the key to squeezing a buck when you're traveling on the Corn Ferry Tour? What's your favorite shitty hotel? What's your favorite way to cut corners around eating? I mean, I'm sure you traveled with, with Will, um, yeah. but like dispel some of the rumors. What are the, some of the ways that, you know, like, yes, you're a professional golfer and you're on TV, but it's not like I'm, you know, it's not courtesy cars and jets. Right. Oh no, for sure. Not starting out. Cause you know, the, obviously I was lucky enough to get a couple tour starts, um, to, you know, get a little bit of earnings to, you know, kind of make me comfortable and stuff like that. But, Anyways, it's like, uh, it's, it's not, I mean, when I've turned pro set aside the sponsor invites, I'm in the same shoes that somebody who just played, you know, D3, nothing, not that there's anything wrong with that. No, right, right. Who just, who just played D3, you know, small events with whatever. So you're like on the same playing field as everybody that's professional and coming out of school or whatever. So it's, it's kind of weird. You're set on the same stage. Nobody gives a crap what you did in college. <laughs> you know, that doesn't matter. Like you could be four time, four time first team all American, but you still got to, you know, no matter what I've done, I still had to go get through that Monday. I still had to do this. So nothing was handed to you. Um, yeah, I got a couple of sponsor invites to PGA events and I uh, played pretty well in them. But alone from that, like, I mean, you still, nothing's given to you. I mean, you're on a different playing ground. It's, everybody starts at zero. It, it, it's just when you really dig down and look at what it's like to, to make that trip to get to the PGA Tour, it's not uh, – it's it's a challenge. And when you're Mondaying in and doing things like that, I'm glad you brought up the fact about Mondays because, yeah, great, you're in, but now what? You know, you got to yeah, start exactly. over. Like, yeah, 100%. If you get through the Monday and you missed the cut, I mean, you didn't do anything for yourself hardly. I mean, you got confidence, obviously, getting through the Monday and getting a chance and opportunity to learn but like i mean that you don't get any points you still got to go get through the money and then play well to make anything out of it it's all about getting the opportunity and then doing something with it and that's you know a tough part too set up you know set aside you know keep doing the money and actually getting through i mean it's all i mean it's it's a tough problem i mean it's it's giving me a headache thinking about all, all the shit <laughs> i had to do it's, on the Mondays. it's okay like, you, you don't have to do yeah. you don't have to do you're yeah. in you're in, in in jacksonville and you're in st augustine you're okay everything's just okay just, perfect just, i'm just glad i'm not going to the monday no, next no, month. It, it, <laughs> it, it is real you it is real you are playing golf in a couple of weeks um let's all right let's get you in a, in a good mindset let's talk about the win in panama you win yeah. the, you have this great start to your season and then obviously it gets suspended for a bit but we're gonna get things started again but um how does one celebrate their first corn ferry tour win in panama when you have to get on a plane to go to bogota um <laughs> uh, having too much to drink boy. <laughs> no no i uh no it was fun it was you know my caddy um all my friends were there obviously we got to go out and you know have a couple beers and celebrate and do all that stuff um which was a blast and it was, it's actually a funny story. I was playing pretty well the first two days. Um, you know, I was kind of like a little frustrated. I felt like I was playing better. I actually called, um, you know, Josh, um, Gregory, who I work with on the game. And I was like, man, like, 
this doesn't feel right. We need to figure this out because I was already a little irritated because um, I wasn't off to like the best start and I wasn't playing it, you know, shooting the scores. I felt like I should have felt like I could have. And uh, he kind of gave me a little pep talk. He's like, dude, you're like, you know, you've gotten off to a good start. You're in your third event. This is a long season. Pace yourself. You're doing the right things. Like, be patient. You know, just do what you've been doing. So I caught fire on the back nine on Saturday. And I think I shot like five or six hundred on the back nine. And next thing I know, I was in the final group, you know, being frustrated Thursday and Friday. And after Saturday, I was in the final group of the tournament. Yeah. So things really, really like changed quickly from a mindset. And, um, and, you know, I still tell Josh this day, I don't know if it, if it weren't for that phone call, I don't know if I'd have won the tournament. So I have to give a lot of credit from him for kind of reining me in and, uh, yeah, and it, it was just uh, it was really cool experience, and I remember that last putt. There's nothing, no better feeling than you know making a putt to win a tournament um, and knowing where you're at. And uh, it was nice to see because you know I put a lot of hard work in and, and in the fall, and um, to see stuff pay off is just it's one of the best feelings. And you're just kind of like <laughs> it's like it's it's just a bug that you just want to always have, and it's uh, and you know and that's why I'm so excited to start back up. But, feel good at what I've been doing and hopefully I can uh, rattle off another win here soon. Yeah. I mean, and I'm guessing the fact that there are so many young players coming in right away, like, you know, the, the typical, um, you know, I mean, you can't say Wolf, Morikawa and Hovland, uh, you can't say them separately anymore. It's basically, they are, they're, they're all those names just roll right together. And then you have Neiman as well. I mean, I'm guessing that doesn't make things very easy when, you're seeing other players that you literally just played a college tournament with like a year or two beforehand, they're racing out onto the PGA tour and winning. So I, sure. I'm guessing that puts, puts undue pressure because it's like, you can't be, you, I'm guessing that's why you kind of feel like you're like, all right, let's go. Let's make this happen now. For sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, they're good buddies of mine. I know all of them really well. And, you know, obviously it's happy to see, you know, them play well, but in the same time, you're like, dang, man, I felt like, you know, I was playing with them and amateur golf and yeah. college golf, and you're like, man, I am I can do this. And once you see people, like, know and do it, you're, it gives you confidence, too. Like, at the same time, I was happy for them and stuff, and it was kind of fueling the fire and it motivated me because I'm like, you know what, I, you know, obviously they had a little better amateur careers than me, but, you know, I played neck and neck with them all the time, and we competed a lot, and I played a lot of golf with them, and, um, and it's just cool to see, and it gave me a lot of confidence and motivated me. I'm like, okay, I see people with I played a long time for. I can do this too. So it's like fueling yourself in the right way, not get – obviously, I would never get angry if one of my friends left oh, or yeah. whatever. Unless it's, it's Will. Important. But if it's, it's, yeah. it's yeah, but if it's Will, we can get angry because it's Will. Yeah, yeah. If it's Will, then you're like, hey, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, it's, it's more of like, you know what? I'm happy for him, but at the same time, you know, it fires you up. You're like, man, I can do this and yeah. just do the right stuff and be patient. I'm going to be there too. So, and that's kind of the thing. It was kind of cool. I actually played with Victor. Um, we had our Meriden, Merido uh, Samaritan phone tournament. I actually yeah. got with them the first two days um, of it. And uh, it's kind of funny too, talking about this. Cause he's like, cause we were talking about how the whole um, wraparound year happened. He was like, man, like, Hopefully, when we're both old, we're not going to think about how one year, you know, delayed your PGA career. You know, if it were to be that I get a, you know, PGA Tour card a year later, it's a long career. Hopefully, for both of us, 
and one year is really not going to make that big of a deal. Hopefully, you know, we're both successful enough where, you know, we've won tournaments and done this and that. And hopefully, you know, one year, you know, a deal breaker, you know what I'm saying? So, um, and that's the beauty of golf too. You can play it for a long time. I mean, you see Phil, um, just sitting hellacious seeds at 50 years old. Oh Jesus. Really? You, you threw that in there. You don't expect me to give you shit about hellacious seeds. He, all right, we're going to, all right. So let's talk about the match. I have that in my notes. Cause your, your buddy JT did his, um, uh, he, he did the, uh, the, the coverage and, and the play by play, so to speak. I love the fact that he was giving Barkley shit, uh, especially since Barkley's an Auburn guy and, and you and JT and JT's an, an Alabama guy. Did you watch yeah. the match at all? Oh, I did. Yeah, I watched pretty much all of it. Um, I caught a great bit of it, and I was, man, Peyton Manning has surprised me. He yeah. Got some game. I mean, he was throwing darts, and I was like, man, this this guy's good. Get him, get him in a tour tour event or something. <laughs> but no, it was funny to see. Um, it was just cool seeing the whole dynamic. You know, football players Tom Brady and Peyton Manning playing with, you know, of course Phil and Tiger. That was really cool to see them interact and stuff like that. But I enjoy it. And I, yeah, I thought. JT did a hell of a job. I was cracking up. The one of the funniest ones. He was like, he was like, Chuck, I'd like to see your fat ass dunk right now. That was great. <laughs> was just, that's the line of the. That's the whole thing. I love. I guess my thing that I love so much is that Tiger is so. He just like he's so above all of Phil's shit. He's like, oh, I, no. he's like. Like, I can't remember what Phil was saying, but the Tiger just says to the camera, like, this is the shit I got to deal with every time I play golf with this yeah, guy. He yeah. just runs his mouth. I love it because Tiger's just like, really? I got, like, I'm Tiger Woods, okay? Like, yeah. just go over there. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. I forget what he said. He said something like, Phil was like, yeah, I've got the coffee. I've got the calves. I'm oh, yeah. ready to go. Hit this bomb. And, and Tiger looks at the camera and he's like, yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the shit I have to put up with it's every so time good. I play with Phil. so good. <laughs> I yeah, like so and good. I like JT what he was doing too, and I even said it on, on a previous episode. I was like, like I thought it was great, but it's also kind of odd that like social media, people on Instagram and Twitter are going nuts over how honest and funny he was when really all he was doing was just typical shit talking that everyone does in their weekend buddy games. But we can't have yeah. that on but we can't have that on TV because God forbid yeah. someone gets their feelings hurt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if they think that's interesting, they should hear me and Will's games out of Merida. <laughs> uh, well, that's I'm glad you brought that up because you're a member at Merida. They had these great uh, these fundraising tournaments to help out the caddies there, and just the the fields at these things. I mean, Scheffler wins the fir- wins the first one. Brandon Wu wins the second, and you have yeah. uh, you have you have Romo out there, and Hovland's there, and I mean, I yeah. can go down the list. I mean, you're there. Uh, you know, Zalatoris is there. Um, a lot, then you got the, the college kids, you got Cooper Dossie and you have a uh, Quade Cummins and I can, I mean, go down the list. What is right. your normal game at Merido? Merido sounds like its own little mini tour. Yeah. We've got a great group of guys out of Merido, you know, uh, Jordan plays out there a decent amount. Kevin Doherty, um, Taylor Moore, me, Will, Martin Flores. Um, I mean, there's, there's a ton of guys and the membership is awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean they're they're a lot of fun. I actually probably play. I'm playing most of my golf with Will and uh, Tony Romo. And um, oh, that just pick that name up. I think you dropped it. Go get that. You just dropped that name. Pick that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, we we get some fun games and it's all in fun and it's you know nice to you know get some game go going and get the juices flowing a little bit. Um, no, I mean the membership's great. 
Um, we have a great group of guys out there. and um, No, it's a blast, and I'm just blessed to be a part of the club and uh, be a member out there. So it's it's a lot of fun. Do, is there um, Are there things that the home games at Merido do for you that – I don't want to compare. I don't, I don't want to compare it to like a regular tour event. Obviously, it's completely different. But are there things that you're getting out of that as opposed to, um, you know, just playing a regular practice round? Is there something special about Merido that that maybe you're getting that maybe other people aren't during this time? I guess. Oh, for sure. To have um, these guys to play with, like for instance, me and me and Will played with, played a game with. You know Kramer and Jordan speech yes not yesterday but a couple of weeks ago but just having like that, Kramer Hickok yes yes okay. um, yeah so just having like guys like that to play with and um, you know Kevin Doherty and Taylor Moore guys who are playing the corn Terry too and and uh, and, and Will me and Will play so much golf together but Will will tell you like our games out of Merido are way more intense than anything I've really felt on the corn Terry tour really like we're yeah like we're like I mean we're shit talking we're like whatever so it they're i mean they're intense it's like we want to rip each other's throat out and it's it's and it, and it gets us prepared and you know at the end of the day we're gonna you know laugh and you know root for each other in tournaments like we we want to see each other do well we know how hard you know each of us work and it's you know fun to be around guys and who kind of push you and stuff like that but our our games out of merit are really intense and they're and it i mean it's I mean, I don't think a lot of guys, you know, get that. So I think that's a huge, you know, advantage to have, to have guys to compete against and, um, you know, simulate, you know, uh, tournaments as best as possible. Who's the hardest guy it is to get rattled there? Like, I mean, I know you can talk some shit, but you got a lot of guys out there. Like who, like, I, I don't know if you can give me a specific story, but are there guys out there that you just know that, like I'm guessing Romo has heard everything at this point. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's heard everything. He, he, he takes it and he dishes it. So he, he, he just goes with the flow and Will's the same way. It's kind of hard to get under Will's skin a little bit, but he, he kind of takes everything, you know, in good fun. And he kind of like, it's kind of like one of those things. Don't, <laughs> don't disrupt the bear. He'll get pissed off. Oh, so it's okay. like kind of one of those things like, if you piss him off, he starts like making putts, and you're like, "Damn it, I should have just shut up." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we're both kind of the same way in that sense. So I mean, we have good fun, we kind of trash talk a little bit, and it's uh, it's fun kind of messing with each other. And then, you know, at the end of the day, we're just like trying to get each other's skin and toughen each other up a little bit. But it's uh, it's a blast, and I've I'm so happy I made the decision to come to Dallas and. Uh, join out at Merido and it's I mean it's helped my game I mean it's been so great for my game having that you know at my resource and doing games and playing games like that well that's that's high praise saying that the games at Merido are more pressure and more uh more intense than the Corn Ferry Tour I don't know if the Corn Ferry Tour wants to hear that that might be not the best marketing for them but I bet Merido <laughs> would love to hear that so oh yeah 100% <laughs> Well, before I let you go, like we were talking about the at Merido, obviously it's a great place for you to get your game sharp, and and sounds like the games out there uh, are, are quite entertaining. But like I said, you just you played these two uh, Samaritan fundraising tournaments where you had a lot of the uh, local pros, a lot of the best collegiate players in the area coming by, and um, it was not just to get your game sharp. And I know there was a, a somewhat of a purse uh, involved, but. Um, Tell sure. me, tell me what that tournament actually 
did for maybe not the people playing in it, but for the people that it, it directly benefited. Yeah, for sure. And it was the Meredith Samaritan Fund. So it was, you know, a fund, you know, with all the entry fees and the purse winnings to go towards the, you know, the caddy and staff and all the um, Merido crew who was kind of paused during this uh, coronavirus time. Um, so it was for a great cause to help out the, you know, all the people at the club who weren't able to work at the time and um, all that stuff. So it was a great cause and it was obviously fun to um, play for, you know, a cause greater than yourself and everybody. But at the same time, you know, get some competitive juices flowing and um, do all that stuff. And it was really cool to see like, co- you know, college and junior players there. And I couldn't imagine like there were some young juniors out there, you know, having the opportunity to play, you know, with um, people like Ryan Palmer and all these great tour pros. Yeah. Um, you know, all these tour pros being a jun- young junior golfer, I'm sure that was like really like surreal in a sense. And they were able to learn a lot. I, I know, um, you know, at that age, I would have loved to have played in something like the Meredith Samaritan Fund tournament where they had all these guys come in. So it was really cool to see um, juniors and amateurs and, you know, of course, professional guys get together and play. And, um, and I got some good groupings. You know, I got to play with Scotty um in the tournament victor hovland and a bunch of other guys some guys that i'm good buddies with that i got to catch up with and hang out you know chat it up with so it was uh it was a blast and it was you know for a good pause and uh it was definitely a nice prep to know what you needed to do and what you needed to work on in preparation for the seasons you know resuming well, I think that's something I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd love to see that happen more often. I mean, obviously, you don't want to see, uh, you know, coronavirus affecting people any more than it, it already has. But uh, the the way that those fields were set up, I sure would like to see about a half dozen of those happen throughout the year. Because I mean, I wouldn't mind swinging by Dallas for the weekend and watching that show. Um, oh, for sure. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'd be interested to see if that happens uh, in the future. It was like a test run. I feel like kind of like the whole golfing world was kind of paying attention to it in a sense. Where, oh, yeah. You know, and how, like, how things, I guess, were, they kind of set the standard how, you know, if you take proper precautions and, you know, abide by all the rules that golf can be, you know, resumed maybe sooner than some other people thought. And, uh, but they did a great job with, you know, abiding by the guidelines and, you know, making it for a great week. So it was a blast for sure. Well, Davis, um, gosh, great chat, and I really do appreciate the time and kind of walking me through, uh, you know, a lot of the highlights of your career and um, and the lowlights of Will Zalatoris. That's the important thing. I'm glad we covered. Um, yeah, please, please get all that. Oh yeah, we got all that. So, um, well, listen, you know, stay healthy, and I know you had a great start to this season before it was suspended, and uh, you know, hopefully, you can pick things up right where you left off. And I know you got a couple tournaments in Florida, and then we'll see where the rest of the season goes, and hopefully, uh, you know, once. Once your path to the PGA Tour is is open, so to speak, you'll uh, you'll be there playing on the big stage, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. I'm glad you stopped by the back of the range. Perfect. Well, Ben, I appreciate it, buddy, and I uh, enjoyed the chat. And there you have it. Special thanks to Davis Riley for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Special thanks to FootJoy for providing a free pair of Pro SL golf shoes to a lucky listener of this episode. If you missed the instructions on how to enter the drawing, go ahead and re-listen to the beginning of this episode. All the information is there. Don't forget, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. 
Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the golf. And I'll see you next time here at the back of the range.